This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Annual Pass. This is the podcast from Rooster Teeth where we talk about all things theme park, attractions, shows, food, snacks, you name it, we'll talk about it. I am your host, Jack Patillo, and joining me, as always, is my beautiful and lovely and talented co-host, Jeff Ramsey. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Jack. You had me a little worried there. <clears throat> Excuse me. You, I'm, all, right? I'm all I'm all upset. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to forget to say talented for a second oh, there, no. but then you threw it in. You're so, so talented. Come on now. Appreciate so, uh, yeah, Jeff, we have a very, very fun episode of Annual Pass today. Real quick, let's run through some housekeeping stuff just to take care of it off the top of the, uh, the show. A, number one, thank you everyone who's sending in photos of you wearing Annual Pass merchandise. Don't forget, right now in the store, we have our spooky Annual Pass shirt on. Jeff's wearing it right now. It looks lovely on you. I like it. I like it a lot. A lot Thanks, of people. Man. I'll send you a pic later. Shirt. Thank you very much. Also, uh, people are wearing those hats too. We got the spooky annual pass hat. Has the spider web on it. I love that. And so, yeah, if you if you pick up any merchandise, store.roosteeth.com, I would appreciate that. Send us photos because I love nothing more than seeing all of you beautiful pass holders out there wearing our merchandise. It makes me very very happy. Jeff, yes sir. We got a fun episode today. We are talking about a show. It's a classic show. It's gone now. It's been replaced by one of the most, uh, uh, one of the things I'm least happy about on the planet. But we're going to be talking about Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review. And not only that, we have a very special guest who's going to be joining us for the podcast today, Jeff. Okay. This, ladies and gentlemen, I'm... Well, Jack, stop keeping me in suspense and tell me. I I was was about to get... Let's get to it. All right. So uh, this is the first time we've had this gentleman join us on the show. Drag it out. (laughs) He was a member of Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review. He's gone on to star in many, many big things, including, uh, let's see, let's just run down the list of stuff. He was Rex Racer and the Wachowski Speed Racer, which is a movie I love. He's the Flash in the Harley Quinn series. He was Jason Street in Friday Night Lights. And he was even Harry Osborn in the Spider-Man game. Marvel and DC, huh? All over the place. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Scott Porter with us today. Scott, welcome to Annual Pass. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm excited to take a walk down memory lane here <laughs> today. You know, this show was very important to me. It was kind of like my first little break. And uh, yeah, I'm super stoked. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We have a little bit of news. I wanted to bring you on early because we're going to talk about some stuff around Universal. And it sounds like you're passionate about Universal. So I wanted to get you on and talk a little bit about some some things happening. One piece of news, Jeff. Okay. Literally announced yesterday as of recording this, Shrek 4D which is a show at Universal Studios Florida, they've announced that it's shutting down, which it's, it's a very old ride. It's been there for a long time. It's very, very oh, sad. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's shutting down on January 10th of next year. So they've given people plenty of time to get out there and see it one more time. Those of you who are worried, though, that Donkey and Shrek, like the, the meet and greet, are going away, they're not. They're not going away. They're actually going to be there as well. But I'll read this from, let's see, this is Adam Kingsley, who is the vice president of attractions operations. This is a a note from inside. Why are you looking at me funny like that? I'm just, I'm hanging on your every word, dude. (laughs) So he left a note to uh, to team members, excuse me, at Universal. He said, additionally, we have made the difficult decision to permanently close Shrek 40 in January of 2022. This attraction had a great run and and is beloved by our guests. Thank you all who have been a part serving the nearly 75 million guests over the last 18 years. As with the mummy, we will relocate all the affected team members and celebrate our last days with guests and team members. More details to come on that as soon as there are new details about what is going to replace Shrek, you'll be amongst the first to know. So uh, Shrek's going away, Jeff. I, I know that's a big hit to you, but uh, are, are you going to be okay? I'll be honest with you, Jack. I didn't realize this was a thing until this moment, but uh, I've never seen Shrek. You've never seen Shrek? No, I don't think so. I don't think I've seen There's like 10 of them, right? I don't think I've seen any of them. Scott, are you looking to uh, join any podcasts <laughs> as a permanent co-host? Because uh, my co-host here doesn't know anything, apparently. You know, I Shrek was fantastic when I was much younger. I'm interested to see how I would watch it now, especially having a six and a four-year-old. I don't even know that they can watch Shrek. I think they got to be a little bit older than that. <laughs> but as far as the attraction, I... The thing that bums me out the most is that some of the most talented actors that they have at Universal Studios are the people that do like Donkey Mm -hmm. at the front of, you know, you're waiting in line and and Donkey talks to the people in the crowd and it's all improv. It's all off the cuff. That guy's sitting in a control room somewhere. If we're doing behind the scenes stuff here, he's sitting in a control room somewhere and he has a camera. He can see the line and he can pick people out. He can go back and forth with them. And it seems like the roles for those actors, those improv actors that 
the streetmosphere guys that have been doing that thing for so long. It, it's good to say that they're going to relocate, you know, some of the meet and greet stuff, but I don't know how they relocate donkey from what i've read it sounds like the donkey and shrek meeting area which is right across from like the gift shop that's not going anywhere so as far as i know donkey's not he's not leaving he's still got his stable over there so i think he'll be okay but i I do know what you're talking about as far as like those improv type characters like turtle talk with crush over at epcot they do something very similar where it's literally a live actor controlling a puppet and uh even like the uh, the laugh factory at magic kingdom that kind of stuff like those improv shows it that's a whole other level of what those guys can do. And I mean, it's it's fascinating. I would love to talk to someone who has control of that. And that might be breaking some of the magic for some folks. But I know uh, my wife, Katie, she loves Donkey. And every time we go to Universal, we have to go say hi to Donkey. And I'm fascinated because like the equipment those guys must have because they can they see everything and they can hear everything that you're saying. If you're whispering, so they can hear you. Cameras and microphones. Yeah. Yeah. Some okay. fancy cameras and microphones Got inside it. of a theme park and a really cool animatronic, too. So, yeah, the water fountain in front of where Sinbad used to be in Islands of Adventure is another place where people and then they have full control over the little water spouts, too. So they can actually spray people. They can reach out and touch you with water, (laughs) (laughs) which is always a lot of fun. But I know a lot of those guys that I I worked with one of them actually in the show that I did. He was Beetlejuice in the graveyard review with me. So James Keaton, shout out to you, man. He is a super funny guy and he's, he's pretty incredible. So hopefully they hold that uh, position. Well, I believe uh, James Keaton too has been in quite a few things. If I'm not mistaken, Let, let me look here. Yeah, James Keaton, he's actually, uh, his his character that most people might know him as is actually Jack the Clown. So he was the original Jack the Clown for Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, wow. And he's done tons of character work at Universal. He's, yeah, he's been Beetlejuice. He's done all sorts of different shows and stuff. So he's a pretty big dude. Yeah, so if you know if you know him, uh, feel free to tell him we say hi, because I'm a big fan of his work. He was at my wedding. I will. I'll make oh, sure wow. you say hey. That's awesome. So, well, speaking of it, let's dive into it. Let's talk a little bit about Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review. I've got some history here. So it's Universal's Monsters live rock and roll show, formerly known as Beetlejuice's Graveyard Mashup, Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review, Beetlejuice's Rock and Roll Graveyard Review, and Beetlejuice's Rockin' Graveyard Review. <laughs> it's gone through a few name changes across the three parks. Every possible iteration of those words. Yeah, but for the most part, people know it as Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review. That okay. was what was on the big marquee at Universal Studios in Florida for a long time. So... When you say what the name of the show is, Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review is kind of the go-to. Back when you know Universal Studios opened up in 1990 in Florida, and what, what initially was in that area, it's kind of over by the San Francisco, New York area of the park, there was an American Tale Theater, which was a show with Fievel. And it was like Fievel and his friends were singing popular songs. Is like, that Don Bluth? I think so. Yeah. That sounds right. But at the time, they were, like, singing popular songs. Like, it was weird, like, Fievel and his friends singing Vogue by Madonna, which was, like, odd, but that's okay. And then in 1992, Fievel's Playland opened up, which is over by the E.T. ride. It's kind of, like, sort of, it's a kid's area, so we didn't really explore that too much. And moved all of Fievel and his friends over there, which left this stage kind of out in the open and kind of like, hey, what can we do with it? Around uh, 1991, Beetlejuice started popping up inside Universal Studios, and one of the first things he ever did was actually interact with the Ghostbusters. So there was an outdoor show, I think it was Street Busters, I forget the exact name of it, but it was Beetlejuice interacting with the Ghostbusters, possessing them and making them dance and sing songs. I was actually in that one as well. Oh, were you? (laughs) Yes, I played Logan, the cowboy Ghostbuster. (laughs) And I did it uh, full time. But we'll get into all this uh, in a little bit because I I was at that point I was on a I was the only park wide swing for male performers. And I did I would come in to do Frankenstein in the morning, then get a call that we had lost a street buster because we called ourselves street busters. And then I would have to get out of my Frankenstein makeup, put a cowboy hat and, a you know, pack on my back and go over and do the street buster show. So, yeah, I would, I would be possessed by Beetlejuice in two different shows. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so. That's so funny. Man, yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll talk about the Ghostbusters show. They actually had an actual proper show featuring like Pepper's ghost effects and stuff. One of my favorite stage shows of all time. I love that thing, mainly because I'm a huge Ghostbusters nerd. There and so hearing that you got to be an official Ghostbusters is pretty awesome, Scott. We'll, we'll have to talk about that in a bit. So anyway, so Fievel left, went over to this new area and left this stage open. And they were like, what can we do with it? And so they're like, hey, Beetlejuice is pretty popular. Why don't we have a show starring Beetlejuice? So... They initially, in 1992, opened up the, what was the the first name of the show? 
I don't know the exact name of it, but let's, let's call it Beetlejuice the Graveyard Review just because it's going to change around quite a bit. The original show featured Beetlejuice as the host, who has been the host of, you know, shockingly, Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review. The host is Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Phantom of the Opera, Frankenstein's Monster, Bride of Frankenstein, Wolfman, and Dracula. They were the first original kind of characters, the classic Universal Monsters and Phantom of the Opera for some reason. It's an interesting combo. <laughs> and so they would come out, basically Beetlejuice would uh, bring out these monsters, and then he would have the audience say his name three times, and then they would transform the monsters into like singers and rockers and stuff. So they'd all go from kind of their classic outfits into like fancy, you know, crazy like neon outfits and whatnot. And then they'd have a show, and it's them singing, dancing around, and having a great time. Show lasts about 20 minutes or so, rattle through a whole bunch of different songs. Uh, the very first version of the show, you got stuff like uh, Wild Things, which was all, everyone singing. Uh, okay, so they're not original numbers. No, right? no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that so, makes sense. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera sing Great Balls of Fire, because he, get it? Cause he <laughs> yeah, plays yeah, yeah. piano, you know. You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman was the Bride of Frankenstein singing to Frankenstein. That's sweet. Yeah, and so it was just a bunch of kind of classic rock songs done by the monsters, and it was actually a really fun show. And not only that, but Beetlejuice, he got to improv a lot of his stuff. And apparently, in the original version of the show, he could get a little bit, um, a little bit rough, a little bit PG thirteen. And apparently, there were actually some complaints about Beetlejuice getting a little out of family friendly character, which oh is, heavens, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And the original show ended with uh, Deo, which is the uh, banana boat song from uh, you know Beetlejuice. I didn't realize this. Beetlejuice came out in 1988. So this is only four years after the movie came out. And so, I, I mean, to me, Beetlejuice is kind of pervasive. He's been, it feels like he's been around forever. But this was pretty shortly after the movie happened. So, Well, the movie was a big deal yeah, when it came out. Yeah. It was a huge hit. It was like it was a cultural phenomenon, as it were. Yeah, you if, if you don't know Beetlejuice, I mean, it's the 1988 movie with uh, Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, who is a poltergeist. It's Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin and Winona Ryder and uh, Catherine O'Hara, a few other fantastic actors and actresses. And the idea is basically Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin are new ghosts. They're, they're haunting a house. They don't know how to do it. And so they hire a professional ghost who's Beetlejuice. And he teaches them how to scare people out of the house that they were living in when they passed. And so and then it's shenanigans, Tim Burton film, lots of cool characters. It was and, The Sixth Sense and the others way before those movies. <laughs> so anyway, that character, a lot of fun. Michael Keaton did a great job with it. And now Beetlejuice has been kind of a staple of Universal Studios since then. Like he's kind of been the, the character in the park who just has a lot of fun and you see him all over the place. So there's even a Beetlejuice house at the Halloween Horror Nights right now, Jeff. Okay. So we're going to go check that out next week. If you're listening to this live right now, we would have checked it out yesterday. <laughs> It's going to be fun. I'm okay. excited. Assuming your back holds up. So anyway, the show went through a couple iterations over the years. There's three versions of the show. There's the Hollywood version. There's the Orlando version. And there's actually the Japan version. And I'm mainly going to focus on the Orlando one just because that's going to be easier for everyone. The original version of the show went from uh, 1992 until 2002, ran for 10 years. And then version 2.0 went from 2002 to 2006. Version 3 went from 2006 to 2014. And then version 4, the final version... Went for two years, 2014 to 2016. So it's only been gone for four years. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's And they're making a new Beetlejuice movie. Are they? Aren't they? I don't know. Are they making a new Beetlejuice? Scott, do you know about any new Beetlejuice movie off the top of your head? I've heard rumors. I'm pretty sure Beetlejuice 2 has been kicked around for a while, but... Yeah. Uh... You know, wow. it's, you know, we'll see if it actually <laughs> happens. I, th I think it's set to come out in late 2022. So we'll start hearing more about, it, I'm sure, wow. later this year. That's but, crazy. Uh, yeah, actually coming back. The interesting thing about, say, a movie that came out in 1988 that people that are just coming into media now don't understand is like, it wasn't unusual for a movie to hit a theater and stay in a theater for a whole year. Yeah. Like if yeah. Beetlejuice was a hit, it would stay in the theater all year long. And then it had a really long tail with VHS and with HBO and everybody would. So it wasn't really rare for a movie like Beetlejuice that was a big hit to stick around and just continue to be a big deal to a lot of people because they were getting access to it at different times and different ways. Nowadays, it's, everything's disposable. But back then, they had real staying power. So huh, yeah. uh, it doesn't surprise me. It took them a couple of years to get that show up. And then it really it stuck around in the park. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You don't really think about that. But I mean, that's why like Ghostbusters is so pervasive. Like everyone knows Ghostbusters because it was around forever. And even like a Christmas story comes out, you know, it's on for a month every Christmas. So well, also, there was just less competition for your eyeballs back that's then, true. too, which helps. You know? that, is, that is true. The actual show also, uh, they 
dropped Phantom of the Opera after the first version of the show, so he wasn't around for terribly long. <laughs> I guess he was around for about a decade. He didn't test well with the uh, But so they dropped the Phantom of the Opera, and then they added in two new characters that were backup singers-slash-dancers to Beetlejuice. It was Hip and Hop. Ha. Huh. Get it? And then uh, ultimately Hip and Hop changed into the final version of the show. They became Cleopatra and Fantasia, who was, I think it was the Phantom of the Opera's daughter is how they included her into the show. So they brought in more backup people as well. So, but like Cleopatra of Egypt fame. Yeah, you know, the universal and, monster and, Cleopatra. <laughs> and then the daughter of the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense because the mummy, right? They never had a representation of the mummy. So That's they true. went with oh, Cleopatra. Enough. To kind of bring that element in, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Fantasia is spelled with a PH. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's the guy that named Cheese Whiz all over again. You're like, yeah, let's do this <laughs> little clever letter play here in the name. It's just, yeah, but Hip and Hop, you know, you mentioned earlier about Beetlejuice being super raunchy in the first run, giving him two backup dancers of his own and that were kind of scantily clad yeah. didn't really help them in the <laughs> Beetlejuice being raunchy with his improv department <laughs> as two dancers are dancing around him. They kind of backed themselves into a corner once again. I think we still got plenty of complaints when we were oh, doing yeah. our version, but yeah, I, I digress. <laughs> there was some interesting stuff in there. Like at one point there was a Paris Hilton joke where Beetlejuice was talking about all these famous monsters and like, oh, we've got the worst one of all. It's Paris Hilton. And it's like, all right, okay now. And <laughs> Then obviously, you know, the, the comedy would, would change and alter and, and whatnot as time goes by. Because, I mean, there was a lot of improv in the show. It was all zeitgeisty which stuff. I will yeah. give I will give Universal a lot of credit. They are very good about allowing that kind of stuff to happen. They're, they're, it feels like the sort of improv and comedy stuff sort of pops up a little bit more at Universal than any, anywhere else. As a matter of fact, I was in Florida last weekend for the uh, Magic Kingdom's 15th so anniversary. So you're going to Florida for theme parks twice in two weeks? Yeah, yeah. That was just odd timing. But anyway, I happened to be out there. And as a matter of fact, I went on Shrek. I did Shrek 4D. Did you know at this no, point? No, no. They, they uh, literally announced it yesterday. So yeah. it is a sheer coincidence that we went on. But the host at Shrek 4D... It was like as they were loading the theaters, like everyone get in there. I'm going to start because you start in like a torture chamber is like kind of the pre-show area. And then you go into the theater. And so he's like, yeah, if you don't if you don't move fast, I'm going to start torturing you. And then it's like, OK. And then he's like, all right, I guess you're still in here. I'm going to start torturing you. You know, what's the worst torture of all time. Venom 2. <laughs> it started going off about Venom 2. He's like, yeah, carnage. They ruined carnage. It was it was torture. I was like, this is two nights after the movie came out. I'm like, all right, man, that's cool. Whereas, you know, if you went off script, like when I did Backlot Tour at Disney, if you went off script, man, your managers would be on you. They'd be like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, really, Jungle Cruise is the only place where you can kind of play around with it. But even then, it's kind of within safety bumpers. Whereas Universal, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, go nuts. Have fun. It seems well, you, like. You know, Disney's so known historically for letting people play fast and loose with their IPs. So. <laughs> That is true. That is true. I guess Universal, it's all licensed IP. Like, they don't really yeah. own a lot of their own IP. So, even Beetlejuice is a Warner Brothers character. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Like, Beetlejuice is not a Universal character, but he's all over Universal stuff. So, anyway, it was announced that the Graveyard Review would be shutting down on November 7th, 2015. And it was originally set to close on December 3rd, but it was actually delayed until January 5th of 2016 due to guest demand because so many people were so sad to see it going. They kept filling in. They're like, all right, we'll push past the holidays. So, they went all the way to January 5th, 2016. I don't mean to interrupt you, but Go I ahead. am. They should just do the Rolling Stones thing and just <laughs> always announce a farewell tour. That's true. Never shut the ride down. Yeah. yeah. Well, showdown. Sorry. Yeah. It's not a ride. The very final show they did was an annual pass holder exclusive. So only annual pass holders were able to get in. And it was a first come, first serve thing where you had to go get tickets. Apparently, people got there like, um, like as soon as the park opened and ran to get tickets. About 1,000 tickets for the theater. I watched a little bit of the final show, actually. There's YouTube versions of it up. At this point, you know, the, the show had changed. The music had changed. And the final show, they brought back Deo for a little bit. Like, just a little bit of, uh, you know, the Banana Boat song. So everyone's dancing around to Deo. And the audience lost their minds because they hadn't done that song in a very long time. So it's kind of a fun little little Easter egg there. That seems like it would be the one song you'd have to do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Scott mentioned The Mummy as well. So The Mummy's never been a part of the show. But there actually is a mummy in the show. There's like a, a, a basically a coffin that opens up and inside is a mummy character. And it's just basically just arms that are moving around that someone behind is controlling. And then ultimately it's like, oh, it's Beetlejuice who's controlling the mummy. There's a little, little effect where the mummy goes away and he pops out. But anyway, so there is like a, kind of a mummy character at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. He would give kind of the safety spiel, like the, the loud noises kind of spiel at the beginning. And ultimately it's kind of included in different ways in the show. But so pretty much that's sort of the history 
of Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review. I don't know if we can really do a walkthrough for this one, Jeff. This might be the first episode we don't have a proper walkthrough for a show because it's literally like Beetlejuice comes out and he tells jokes and, and plays songs and that's it. We'll just have Scott sing all the songs. So instead, we've got Scott here where we can ask him as many questions as we want. So Jeff, would you like to take a first shot at Scott? Or actually, Scott, do you have any anything you want to add to this? Anything I, you feel that I missed in the history of Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review? No, not really. I mean, you know, one thing, because I know we're going to talk about version 2.0, which is what I was a part of, yeah. but Phantom actually had a huge impact in the fact that Wayne Brady played Phantom, wow. Joey Fatone played Phantom. A lot of the guys that played that role went on to do pretty big things. That show was crazy, especially around the time I was getting into it because JC Chazé from NSYNC had done that show with Joey Fatone. Oh, wow. They had both been in that show just like the year prior to me joining it. <laughs> NSYNC blew up worldwide. Meanwhile, Wayne Brady, you know, had also been in the show singing, dancing, doing his thing. And so I followed a lot of really good actors through some of these shows that I have performed in, in Orlando and around the world. When I went to, I worked at Tokyo Disneyland I followed Tay Diggs. Uh, so oh, wow. <laughs> there there's been a lot of people that have come out of these theme park shows, but Phantom, even though it was only there for a short time, had a pretty big impact as far as the actors who played that role before they removed it. I've got in my, my fun facts here that Joey Fatone is also the Wolfman in the 90s, apparently, at least according to the uh, thing I read. Whether or not that is true, I'm not sure. Wayne Brady was also a Dracula as well. Do you know if that's true? Yes. So... I did all three roles oh, okay. throughout my time and the show. So, you know, you just had to get cross-trained. If you could handle it, they would cross-train you and they would kind of mix and match your contract accordingly because you would aim for a 24-hour or a 40 contract if you could. And we'd have multiple actors there playing the same role, you know, kind of on some bigger, longer days. So a lot of the actors in the show played multiple roles, whether male or female. So yeah, they did play those roles as well. Did you have a favorite that you played or one or a least favorite? Oh man. In that show, Wolfman, I think was my favorite, even though he sang a crazy song, which I guess we can get through as part of the walkthrough, but <laughs> One Wild Night by Bon Jovi, which is not a household song. It's not a song that you mention and everybody goes, oh man, I love that song. You know, so rock and roll all night, all those numbers that were performed in the show, like People know those songs. They hear it and they're like, yeah, I will survive. Yeah, I'm there for that. One Wild Night by Bon Jovi is what the <laughs> Wolfman had to sing in my version of it. But still, you had knee pads. You got to slide all over the stage. They asked everybody to do kip-ups and you did breakdancing moves. You get the beatbox in the middle of the show, which is how I started out in my career. So I did a lot of uh, fun stuff as Wolfman. When, you, when you're doing Dracula, you have to actually really be able to dance. And I'm not a big-time dancer. <laughs> I had to learn what I could. And, you know, I'm double pirouettes and I'm doing split leaps and things. My body just as a football player was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this because <laughs> uh, I played football in high school and college. And, uh, you know, my body worked in a different way than than the dancer's body. So, uh, you know, my big quads just didn't want to be splitting like that. But uh, I'd say that was Wolfman was my my favorite role to do in my version of it. And depending on if I had a cold or not, Frankenstein was a lot of fun, but he's considered the base of the three roles. And uh, you sang Rob Thomas, smooth, uh, you know, with the Santana guitar solo. And, yeah, uh -huh. and Frankie acts like he's playing guitar and and then he has to, you know, start the show and, and he's got a, man, it's a hot one. And I'm a tenor, so like hitting that note, that low note, sometimes it just wouldn't be there. And I'd come out and I'd go, man, it's a hot one. <laughs> like this like breath. <laughs> Once I got past that note, I could do the rest of it, you know, but but it would have to be early in the morning or, you know, maybe if I had a sinus infection, I could really boom that. But uh, that was the first role I learned. So it'll always be near and dear to me in my heart. But Wolfman, I think, is, is my favorite of the three. Oh, that's great. And shout out to Expedition Theme Park, who did a fantastic history of video on there. They also do not like the Fast and Furious Supercharged. They, they hate it as well, which is fantastic. But anyway, they mentioned in one of their videos that the Wolfman and I think Dracula makeups, it would take like an hour to get ready for that character. Is that is that true or is that close to reality? Yeah, I mean, so you would come in in the morning. Frankenstein was the worst because you get airbrushed. Everything's airbrush. And getting that stuff off is you mix up a concoction of makeup removers and cold cream at the end of the day that you're pretty sure you shouldn't be slathering all over your body, but you just want the green paint off. So you do it anyway. 
Then you'd use the baby oil, which you know you definitely shouldn't be using everywhere, <laughs> and you're still wiping. And it takes it, it was it was like 25 minute process to get out of the green makeup, and I would still get home and just have it somewhere in my ear, somewhere <laughs> under my chin. You're going out in public. People are like, what is wrong with this dude? <laughs> the Wolfman and Dracula stuff, though, we had to do our own makeup. Oh, really? So for someone, again, who played like football in high school and college, was a comic book nerd, you know, once I got into the the world of acting, I, I had never done makeup. And they're like, all the other actors there had been doing stage makeup for a long time. And I'm just watching them. They're like drawing on these super intricate like batwing eyebrows that Dracula had and they're doing all this shading. <laughs> you have to do all of this base makeup and everything. The Wolfman, they would have a makeup artist come in and finish off for you because he had just all this hair everywhere. <laughs> so they had to make sure that they did all that right. But Dracula, you had to do it all yourself. Oof. So that would take me an hour and probably another person 20 minutes. <laughs> but Wolfman, yeah, about an hour. We, we'd come in about 90 minutes before our first show and start getting ready. Man, so you would have that on? I mean, assuming your entire shift, you'd be, you wouldn't bounce around character to character throughout a day, right? It would just be kind of your, if you're going to be Wolfman, you're Wolfman all day? Nope, not necessarily. Oh, really? I had a pretty unique contract. I had a 40-hour male performer role park-wide. I knew a bunch of different shows, so in a pinch, they could pull me if they needed, if somebody got injured, somebody got hurt, somebody didn't show up. So it wasn't uncommon for me to show up in the morning, get into... Frankenstein makeup and do the first show and they get called away to go and do a street buster show or go do a walkthrough at like, you know, a Poseidon or something like that, uh, you know, something along those lines yeah. and then have to come back to monster and finish off after they found somebody else to come in and cover the rest of the shows. What's different at Universal Studios than Disney World, which I, I worked at Disney World as well, is Disney World is governed by Actors' Equity. You're a member of a union. You can get your union card by performing over there. So they have union rules. And you know you can only work so many, quote unquote, hours in a day, and they gauge each of your show performances. So I did Tarzan Rocks over at Animal Kingdom. Oh, okay. Every show was counted as two and a half hours. So I couldn't do more than three shows in a day. Well, they'd have a five-show day, so we'd have two performers doing that. Oh, wow. At Universal Studios, they're non-union. They don't care. You can come in and you can do – you can do during Halloween Horror Nights, you can do a nine-show day if you want to. And you could be there 12 hours. Oh, and it was a gosh. pretty paycheck on the backside of it. So there were some times that i come in and do three – you know, three different roles. I come into Frankenstein during the morning, go hop over to Street Busters, you know, ride on the Ecto, which we actually had the real Ecto too. We drive around, which was oh, pretty phenomenal. That's awesome. Not easy for the mechanics to keep up, but it was in the shop every day. But we would drive that thing out, man, during this, like, I would hang off the side of the Ecto. It was Damn, just that's awesome. So and then cool. go yeah. back and do a Wolfman shift for, you know, the Halloween Horror Nights extended hours. And that was, that was pretty cool. Wow. I'm fascinated by this stuff. Well, real quick, um, let me just walk you through. Let me see if I can jog any any memories or any stories out of you. Let me walk through all of the music that you would have heard in version 2.0 of the show, which is your version of the show, ran from 2002 to 2006 in Florida. So it starts off, Beetlejuice comes out to We Will Rock You by Queen, of course. And then we've got Rock in the Paradise slash Rock and Roll All Night. That's everyone singing that one. And then uh, I Want to Rock in One Wild Night, which is Wolfman and Company in Florida. And then uh, I Will Survive by Bride of Frankenstein, which was, you know, with Frankenstein's Monster Dracula and Wolfman helping out. YMCA would be Beetlejuice singing that one as well. And then uh, Hot Stuff from Hip and Hop would come out and sing that one. It's Raining Men, of course, after that. Smooth by Frankenstein's Monster, which is great. Live in La Vida Loca from Dracula. And then the finale, which is Rock and Roll All Night by Everyone. And then, uh, yeah. And so that's pretty much it. So the whole show lasts about 20 minutes, and it pretty much goes nonstop. There's pyro, there's fireworks, there's a bunch of really cool stuff. And it was a, so it was a fun show. When Dracula is singing Live in La Vida Loca, does he sing it with a Transylvanian accent? <laughs> No. So there's this really interesting thing. So you said we can't really do a walkthrough, but we kind of can. So like, let me set okay. the stage. Go you, ahead, right? please. Um, open air theater, Florida, 90 degrees, 90% humidity, tired crowd stumbles in to find some shade, realizes it's no cooler underneath there than it is anywhere <laughs> else because the air just stands and stagnates, yeah. right? Everyone's like fanning themselves with the maps. When you could get maps at theme parks, you can't anymore. You have to look at it on your phone. So I guess now they'd be fanning themselves <laughs> with a phone. That's what we need fan phones, phone fans. They have those little I, neck I, fans. Yeah, gonna... That's that's like the new hotness where they have those little things that go <laughs> yes. around your neck. And... Are you serious? Yeah, they actually have little fans. They blow on your chin. It's it's wild. We'll get you one for when no, we that's go. That's okay. They hit themselves with a spray bottle. So 
you're listening to like Time Warp and all these age old, you know, monsterish songs. And then, yeah, all of a sudden you hear these chains rattling. The monsters start to come on stage. Frankenstein has his old gray suit with the black T-shirt on underneath it. You know, Dracula's in his old classic cape. Wolfman's got his dickies on. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein has her white gown. And we're just kind of moaning and groaning and walking all over the stage. And then Beetlejuice comes out and he's like, these guys are boring. They need an update. And he basically gets the crowd to say Beetlejuice three times, which is for anybody who doesn't know the movie. That's how you give Beetlejuice his real power. He comes to life. He can do anything he wants. The magic word. So he gets the audience to say Beetlejuice once, say it twice. He backs us into a corner. The third time, all of a sudden, the CO2 curtain flies up from the ground and it completely obscures us. And the mummy sarcophagus is is behind us. We open the door. We rip off all of the classic monster costumes and throw them through the sarcophagus door to one of our stagehands backstage to take them all. The CO2 curtain comes off. And all of a sudden now you're looking at the Wolfman and like these cargo pant jogger things with a bright <laughs> orange vest and his his hairy arms are all out. The Bride of Frankenstein's in a short leather skirt and, uh, you know, purple pleather bodice basically frankenstein kind of looks the same as her he's got leather pants on and a in a in a purple <laughs> pleather vest and then the worst is is dracula who's in just full tight leather pants <laughs> in this 90 degree heat 90 percent humidity he's got like this bright red and silver vest and this long sleeve flowy shirt and a giant cape that's red on the inside and black on the outside that he has to throw around a lot in his choreography. And so now we're the rockified version. So that's how we become kind of more modernized in the, in the minds of the executives at Universal, more accessible <laughs> yeah. to the early 2000s audience, <laughs> you know. So now we're ready to sing our rock songs. So we've lost our accents at that point. So no, Dracula, long story short, too late does not have a chance of being an accent <laughs> any longer. It's been Beetlejuiced out of him at okay. that point. And then Beetlejuice summons, he's looking at us having a great time, and he's like, I need my own backup dancers. And he like pulls out hip and hop, and they come out and dance all over him. Yeah, he gets his own little throne, and uh, he kind of watches and puppeteers us from the side of the stage and makes us sing all these tunes. So yeah, that's how we get modernized. So that was the coolest thing in the show for me, like as an audience member, knowing I want to be in the show, like that big CO2 curtain. And then when I was in the show, it was my favorite thing as well because it was just a 45-second reprieve of the heat because CO2 <laughs> curtains are very cold. Yeah. They're very, yeah. very cold. So, uh, you know, we'd get changed and then and then away we go. So Man, we're watching a little bit of a clip of some of the uh, the show right now. And actually, I'm looking at Frankenstein. So is, are those just like giant heels he's got on? Like, I mean, that looks like just an ankle roller waiting to happen. <laughs> yes. So a lot of people fell down in those <laughs> boots. So basically, here's what it is. Let me explain it this way. Say you got a, an all black pair of New Balances, and then you take a, an eight inch wooden block, and you just hot glue the wooden block to the bottom <laughs> of your New Balances, right? And then you take and you wrap that wooden block with New Balances on the top. You would think it's more than this, but it's not. This is literally how we do it. And then you just wrap it in a leather sheath, and then somebody steps into those New Balances with that little leather cover, and they become like these giant black boots and they give everybody the height that they need. Because I'm 5'11". Okay. And I was one of the shorter Frankensteins. And it made me about six, you know, like six five, six six. So I guess they're like six inch, seven inch wooden Jeez. blocks. Oof. But I said in my rehearsal process, once we got them on, because they put the, it, when you're learning the show, they put you in that in day one. And they ask you to just make sure you're going everywhere in those things. It's lunchtime, walk around in your wooden blocks. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said, I, you know what? I'm never going to fall on these in the whole room. You would, I mean, everybody's knocking on anything wooden. They're like, Scott, take it back, knock on wood. And I said, no, I'm never going to fall in these. And I never did. Uh, over, I mean, I did dang near 2,000 shows, maybe more of that show. And I never did fall once. But my buddy, when I was, when I was Dracula one day, I, I turn and there's a line in the show where, well, it's not even a line. I don't know why they made Dracula hiss, but there's a moment in the show where Dracula hisses at Frankenstein. <laughs> Like, it's, I'm yeah. like, he's a bat. He's not a cat. But anyway, <laughs> Frankenstein starts to make the move towards him. And he has to go. There was a lot of stairs on this stage, guys. There yeah. was like a, a giant stairwell that you can get to from a catwalk from the back that there was an entrance on. 
And then the sarcophagus had three little baby steps. And watching my friend playing Frankenstein at the time, he just kind of slowly lost control of his left foot as it <laughs> as it kind of turned underneath him. And in slow motion, I've never seen someone fall in slow motion, but he has the guitar in his hand, so he can't lay out because he's holding the guitar. <laughs> so slowly his left knee buckles. He's trying to come down the stairs. He's still singing. Then his right knee, uh, he twists that ankle. It starts to tilt on him. Oh. He can't get either foot back. And just an eight-second process of a man in a Frankenstein costume slowly, <laughs> like, <laughs> onto his cat, his, like, shins, and then to knees, and then kind of all the way over onto his side. And he's laying on the ground, still playing the guitar, <laughs> singing the song. The commitment was, was very high, but uh, it was – yeah, it was a nightmare for some folks. But for, for me, I don't know – it's so much funnier in my head than it must be in the way that I'm describing it, but it was it was a magical moment. I saw it happen a couple of times. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, it sounds pretty funny uh, in yeah. my head, too. It <laughs> it makes me think that it's probably canon to the way a real Frankenstein would actually fall. <laughs> how heavy were those wooden blocks? Like, how much weight did it add to your feet? Yeah, I mean, I never really felt them, but yeah. they do clop around a lot, and you have to do all the choreography <laughs> that the other... Like during I Will Survive, there's a whole dance break in the middle of it where we form a diamond and it's bride up front and then flanking her are Drac and Wolfman and then Frankie's in the back. But he's still got to do all the steps and you're talking like kickball changes and like he's back there like jumping around in these these things. And so if the music's not on and you're just rehearsing the choreography, all you can hear is funk, funk, funk. If you know the Frankenstein's not doing the steps right, because you can hear him. You know, so. Yeah, they were a little bit heavier. I guess. Yeah, I got a good set of calves because of that that role. Yeah. Do you uh, do you think if you had to like to save Earth, reprise that role today? Do you think you would remember how to do it? It's my nightmare, man. <laughs> Aliens are coming down, and we want one last graveyard review right now. You're laughing. I'm not laughing. <laughs> I I will wake up in a cold sweat some nights knowing that – actually, the dream that I had for a long time, because after I left, I went to Tokyo Disneyland. I came back, and I ended up working at Disney when I came back because while I was gone for the year, they closed my version of the show, revamped it. And then when I came back, it wasn't the same anymore. I didn't know graveyard review anymore. So my dream was that they would call me and try and make me do the new version that I had watched my friends in, but had no idea the lyrics to any of the songs. <laughs> I didn't know any of the steps. And so it was like a recurring nightmare for a little bit for me. It's been a long time, but I can definitely do the Dracula dance break in the middle of Living La Vida Loca. Nice. I can definitely do the opening to One Wild Night with... Wolfman, as long as I got a pair of knee pads, because you do this big knee slide across the stage, and then you do a backspin, and then a kip up. And wait, actually, no, I'm 42. Maybe I cannot do that anymore. My mentally can do it, <laughs> but mentally, I don't know about physically. But yeah. Frankie, Frankie would be the easiest one because he just has to fake it until he gets to "I Will Survive." There's not a lot of choreo and smooth, so there's that. It's a lot of smooth. There's a lot of the brides, you know, dancing around him, and he's just kind of standing there acting like he knows what proper guitar chord structures are, which they never taught us, by the way. No, of course. That not. was unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so, so aside from the guitar, I mean, all the singing in the show is happening, right? Like that's not pre-recorded, or is there anything that is pre-recorded? No, nothing's pre-recorded. It's all live all the time. The real heroes in that regard are our sound guys because we're talking about an outdoor all-weather stage and sound system. And the things they would have to do to get shows up and running some days were pretty incredible. But yeah, no, you had to sing live every single day. There's no cover. Wow. And you just had to make it happen. And when you're doing five shows a day that way, sometimes you can, it just becomes muscle memory. Yeah. You know, like there's certain things you do in your life that even on your worst day, you're like, well, I can gut this one out. It's yeah. just, it's muscle memory. My voice knows because you're doing it so often. I mean, you're talking, you're doing 40 shows a week. I mean, not 40, what's, what's my math? What's five times, 25 shows a week. Yeah. Yeah. Man. My math is also slipping on me. I mean, with a show like that, obviously there's going to be some technical issues at some point. So like a mic would go down any, any weird stuff happen where like, yeah, when this show breaks, how does it, other than Franken falls, how does it, <laughs> how does it go wrong? Yeah. Microphones going out, especially for bride. 
were really, really difficult to cover. Although sometimes Hip and Hop would be able to jump in and help. A lot of times you would just kind of try and cover their mic or you would get close to them and let them sing into your uh, oh, wow. you know, Mike, cause we, we wore our mics, right? We had the head mics that had the little arms on them. And so sometimes you would just say, you know, damn the choreography, let's just get the music across. That was first and foremost. And, you know, if I will survive, if it went out, I would just lay out on the choreography and, you know, you start to work as a really great team. And when you have vets who had been doing theme park stuff for a long time, you just really start picking each other up and you start covering each other's backs. So like, say the mic goes out for Bride of Frankenstein and I will survive. Frankenstein just gets close to her, like down on a knee and just like acts like he's like just hanging out with her and she'll just sing into Frankenstein's microphone until she can get off stage. Because after the big solos for each of the monsters, they would get to go off stage. So then a sound tech would run back, maybe switch the battery pack, maybe switch the pack out completely, switch the mic. And uh, we could stall because we had Beetlejuice. And he could stall a show for as long as we needed it. (laughs) So one of the most dangerous things about letting somebody like James Keaton or Russell or Jeff Gordon, any of these guys that uh, not the race car driver, but he was one of the actors. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he would would go to Daytona and then he'd be like, hop, (laughs) skip and a jump on the, you know, come on down. You know, Beetlejuice could could rant as long as he needs to. And he could walk out into the audience and he could play with people, hit on, like one of Beetlejuice's favorite things is to like find a couple and start hitting on the girl really, really (laughs) hard and see how far he could push it. So yeah, that was a pretty good escape hatch for us, I would say. And then we'd get it fixed and we'd have to just start rolling again. It was very rare we'd have to cancel a show. Uh, The only time we'd have to cancel a show is the most random of times when we'd have like frost on the stage. Wow. Mm. Like because it's an outdoor stage, you don't think about it in Florida, but they do get like frost warnings like two or three times a year down there. Yeah. And everybody goes out and covers their plants and plastic bags and stuff. And then the show, we'd have to actually shut it down because the stage, we couldn't keep it dry. When frost would happen like that, the stage would just continually be wet. And that's a time when, yeah, someone is going to break an ankle. Oh. So I think that's the only time we ever canceled a show. Well, if we ever do a, a live show, I'd love to get you to come out sometime and maybe uh, show off some of your moves if you'd be up for that. You think you, you could uh, revive the Wolfman for us, maybe? I'll tell you what. <laughs> if you get me a Dracula cape. I could do some serious capography for a live crowd, for sure. I know how to whip those things around. That sounds they, like a they winner. They become an extension of your body. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, whenever we do a Los Angeles live show, 100% we'll get you out for it, and you can uh, we'll have you on as a guest, and you can show off some capography. I'd love to see that. Yeah, man. I would be down. I would I would get up there and make a fool of myself, <laughs> and then probably pull something in the process. That's split leap. I, I really I still think to this day like that's a pull my groin in a, in a quick second. <laughs> Especially at these advanced ages, Scott, I am 46, and uh, I pulled out my back picking up laundry on Sunday, so (laughs) it's a dangerous world for us. Yeah, it's always the weirdest thing. You're like, you grab a gallon of milk, and you're like, shoulder, oh, no. That was (laughs) half a gallon too much. Like, how how did that happen? No. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, that's pretty much going to do it for Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review, I think. And uh, yeah, Scott, if you want to hang around for some Q&A, we have some other stuff to go through if you want to hang out and, uh, and maybe answer some questions along with us. Heck yeah, man. I would love to. The only thing I wanted to say in addition. Oh, go ahead. Please. Is the coolest thing about doing multiple roles in a park on a day is I never really got bored. But also, if I had to switch from the Graveyard Review over to Street Busters, the Street Busters golf cart was named the Pork Chop Express, and we <laughs> pulled the limiter out of it. The thing would do about 40 uh, on the back lot, and they would come screaming. The, the, the break room of Street Busters, if you ever want to do Street Busters, I'll, I'll talk about that thing all day, but they would Absolutely. come whipping up behind the monster stage and pick me up at the Pork Chop Express. I'd put a cowboy hat, and the next thing you know, I'm opposite into the park still being possessed by Beetlejuice, <laughs> and then singing I'm Too Sexy and Ain't No Mountain High Enough instead of smooth and one wild night so it was a a really awesome time in in my life it's those shows are so fun and when i say they're some of the hardest things you could ever do i really really mean it because you you just there's no excuse you you can't call out you you got to be there the show must go on some of the most talented people i've ever worked with i worked with in those shows so if you ever go to a park and you watch a show just pay those people the respect that they deserve because because it's hard work out there They've got overcome a lot of things. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was just awesome man. doing doing that show 
consistently was so cool. I would actually love someday, maybe if available to have you back, Scott, to talk about that side of it a little bit more in depth and what it's like for an aspiring, uh, I guess, person in acting and film to enter into the industry through that medium. Or even if, you know, the end goal is just to live in that world, what it's like, the trials and tribulations that you've, you've worked at both Disney and Universal. So you have, uh, I think, probably a wealth of experience and insight that we, it would be fascinating to, to pick your brain on at some point. Yeah, I would love to do that, man. Because I worked at those as well as Pirate's Dinner Adventure, which is basically medieval times, but with pirates. Oh. And so I kind of have like uh, the full gamut of those kind of, you know, transient city theme park shows and how everybody there is is not always sure of where they're taking this, but they are entertaining for a living. Yeah. And for yeah. most people, that is just a dream. And so, yeah, I could I could talk about Disney Universal and even those, you know, individual shows and and how we would work and and all of that. Yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, we will absolutely get you back on in the future. So real quick, I'll just pull in one question here. We're, we're running a little bit long, so I'm going to pull in one question here. This is from an older episode. Uh, Demolish Man says, I don't know if you're a fan of Lego, Scott, but uh, Demolish Man asks, if you could have a Lego set made of any theme park ride, physics be damned, what would it be? And I'll just say, like, looking at the set of Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review, I think that would make a really cool piece because it's actually a really cool set and have, like, little minifigs of all the characters. I think that would be really cool, actually. Not to play Homer for the episode, but I'm just but saying. you just did. <laughs> I just got the Sesame Street set for my kids, and that's exactly <laughs> it. It's like, it's not just so much about the Sesame Street block. It's also about the minifigs that come with it. Yeah. You know, it's for the first time you've got a big bird and you've got Bert and Ernie and, you know, it's they didn't put the count in, which I'm very upset about. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that would be rad. I'm going to think on what Lego said I'd really want. Go ahead, man. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Jeff, I'm going to say one? Universal City Walk. Universal City Walk? Yeah. Like what is like be a little like a little Legos could stroll around and do all the so shopping. Kind and of like the buildings where they have the like the, the you can get different buildings and you just kind of slowly assemble. Yeah, a you build your own little walk. town. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. You get like a little legacy store in there and everything. Yeah. Go eat your little Lego Sbarro. And, you know. I dig that. Like I like that they asked about rides and we're just not doing rides nah. at all. <laughs> no, I have one. I, I think the Matterhorn is, is the one that I would want. The classic Disneyland Matterhorn. I think it's striking when you walk into the park. It's not just – and they've done Cinderella's Castle, right? You can, yeah, yeah. You can build that set. But the Matterhorn is the, uh, the other most visually striking thing in that theme park. And actually Disneyland's Castle is – like shrunk, it's yeah, not as like yeah. striking as Disney World's, but the Matterhorn and what would be cool about that is kind of you could build it so that the the roller coaster comes in and out of the mountain, oh, that and then awesome. resets down at the bottom, and yeah, that that would be kind of cool. The surprise Yeti that pops up, you know, you could have a Yeti minifigure, and and it's just cool to build, you know, Lego toboggans, right? Don't you? It's like yeah. a toboggan or bobsled or it's not a bobsled but a toboggan i guess maybe that's what you I ride think it the is. and it's on, i think so regardless it's fun yeah. to say <laughs> all right well uh lego hopefully you're listening right now let's, let's get a matterhorn set going i mean obviously they've got contacts with disney so make that happen so all right okay so now you know you ask us some questions and then you know every episode i ask you a question and this question i asked actually a while ago we uh, as a matter of fact it was the matterhorn episode of annual pass i asked this question i said what is your favorite animatronic and it kind of got lost in the mix so i haven't had the answers yet so i'm going to go through and pull down some of the uh, the answers here and then i'm going to randomly select one person to uh, give a theme park map to. So, Musica Ficta says, The Hondo animatronic on Smuggler's Run is incredibly impressive. I love how they got his mannerisms down and how well animated he is. There's a really fun atmosphere in the ride already, and he adds so much more. So, that is, there's a kind of a, this alien animatronic, Jeff, at the beginning of the uh, the show. I don't think you've seen this one yet. Or did you do Smuggler's Run at Disneyland when you were there? I did the, those, the, the one with the Millennium Falcon. With the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you saw you saw Hondo then. He was okay. he's a dude at the front. Oh, Hondo, the dude at the front that I saw. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. him. Anthony 16 says, I'll never forget my first experience with the Yeti from Expedition Everest. I was lucky enough to see this insane, scary monster summer of 2006, a couple months after the ride first opened. The ride itself was absolutely amazing, but it's not until you come face to face with a roaring 25-foot beast that really makes you feel shocked, scared, and excited at the same time. I was lucky enough to experience the Yeti in A mode, which creates the illusion of it reaching and swiping at you at incredible speeds. Unfortunately, the Yeti no longer operates the same, but I'll always cherish that feeling of seeing this animatronic for the first time and being so impressed by its fantastic engineering. 
we've talked about this in the past, the expedition Everest Yeti, they pretty much built the mountain around him, and then they realized very quickly that he was destroying the mountain because he was oh, so right. large. Yeah. So now they have Disco Yeti, which is B-mode Yeti, where they just flash strobe lights on him and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of, a lot of people said the Yeti as well. Let's throw that out there. In as Dahl says, my favorite animatronic of all time is the T-Rex in the original Jurassic Park River Adventure in Orlando. I think they did such a good job with it. You would almost think it was the same animatronic as the one they used in the movie. It's so cool. That is pretty awesome. That is a very massive one. Uh, the acting DJ95 says, my favorite animatronic or animatronic, since there are four of him, is John Progress from the Carousel of Progress. Sure, he's not as fancy as some of the newer ones, but the fact that he was one of the first, as well as the fact I absolutely love the Carousel of Progress, makes him stand out to me. That's a, a lot of people actually said the Carousel of Progress animatronics, which I don't know if you've been on that ride, Jeff, but. It's not really a ride. It's more of a a rotating show. Mm. But it's a classic, very classic Disney. And the one I selected as our winner this week, randomly picked, was from Charlotte Lily. Says, my favorite animatronic that came to mind first is the giant King Kong animatronic at Universal Studios in Hollywood. It's just so big, and as a monster movie enthusiast, it's cool to feel like you're so close to Kong. But Hagrid's ride has really provided some cool new animatronics as well. That's great, because that Kong burnt to the ground. So it's <laughs> so I'm glad you got to experience that. Charlotte, I'll reach out to you via email and send you a park map. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for answering that one. And this week's question, you know, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the famous classic monsters. My question for this week to answer in the comments over on Rooster Teeth is who or what is your favorite classic monster? Yeah. I want to know what your favorite monster is. Uh, Scott, do you have your favorite classic monster? Yeah, it's always been Creature from the Black Lagoon. Nice. Nice. He had a whole show at Universal Hollywood for a while. Really? Yeah, with a giant Creature from the Black Lagoon monster, like a a whole stage size one, and he ate somebody. (laughs) That's a whole other thing. I I don't know if we can do an episode. Did you you ever see that show, Scott? I did not. Uh, I was in, I think, Orlando or maybe even Nebraska back when that thing existed. But no, I didn't get to check that out. What, What I always love about Creature is that, you know, Frankenstein is clearly just like misunderstood, but like Creature for the Black Lagoon, you have to bring in like the animal nature of it and be like, well, is he what? I I don't know if he's, he is misunderstood, but he's also just not supposed to be with us here. This is so, (laughs) I always just love the idea of it. And when I was a kid, he just looked so incredible. Like the imagination could run wild with him as opposed to, you know, you're kind of still seeing humans and all the other characters a little bit. So that was for me. Nice, nice. That is fantastic. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on Annual Pass today. If any of our pass holders want to follow you, where would they watch you, see you, follow you, listen to you? Where would they go? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Scott Porter. I'm on Instagram at Skittish Kid. S K I T T I S H K I D. Had the the last season of Lucifer just pop out on Netflix, and I'm in that. So if anybody's looking for anything new to watch, find me there. Sweet. Well, Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Jeff, do you feel like you learned something today? I do. I felt like I learned a variety of things, Jack. <laughs> excellent, excellent. We'll go through them. And next week, you and I are going to be in Florida, and I'm going to be wheeling you around because your back is shattered right now. So that's going to be lots of fun. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to Annual Pass. Make sure to follow us on all the social media. And Scott. A- and Scott. Yeah, follow us and Scott on social media. Annual underscore pass for us, at Scott Porter for him. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, everyone. Next week, we are going to Universal Studios Florida to go to Halloween Horror Nights. It's finally happening, Jeff. I'm so excited. It's going to be lots of fun, and we'll come back with more episodes recorded from the park. So check that out. Make sure to grab a shirt at the store, store.roosty.com. We love you guys. Have yourself an amazing day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Real fast, while you're there, look for my brother. He's currently Employee of the Month at Universal Studios Orlando. Shout out to my brother, Brendan Porter. He's awesome, and uh, (laughs) you can usually find him around Men in Black. All right. right. Brendan Porter, we will keep an eye out for Brendan. I'm going to get a photo with Brendan. Let's do it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We love you guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye.